Hi, welcome to off. Uh, 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 hi, welcome. To, oh God! Oh no! Oh next, no! It's all next. going wrong. Hi, uh, 195 episodes. I get it right every time except this one. Hi, welcome to Off Script. I'm Zach Lewis, and I'm Dr. Draper. There it is. Uh, today on the show, we are talking about Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. The movie is out. The end of Marvel's exciting Phase 4, an incredible slate of comic book films that we'll be talking about for years to come. Uh, it all comes to an end with Black Panther Wakanda Forever. We're excited to talk about it. We're also going to talk about The Banshees of Inishirin. Martin McDonough's new film is out. Last year, he won a handful of Academy Awards with three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. This year, he's got something new to bring to the table. We're going to talk about Quentin Tarantino. I know, a controversial figure in the filmmaking space. Uh, but he said some things across some interviews in the last couple of weeks while we've been out. Uh, sorry about that, but we're back again. And before we get to all of it, we need to talk about the news. Our first story this week, Steven Spielberg is out talking smack about uh, HBO Max. He says, uh, streamers like HBO Max have thrown my best filmmaker friends under the bus. Fans of the show will remember that uh, Steven Spielberg is not a fan of streaming services. Uh, he seems to have problem, problems with them. Uh, and now he's taking another swing at him by calling out Warner Brothers. What do you think, Andy? This is another instance of old man yells at cloud. Uh, Spielberg. <laughs> Spielberg. Yeah. Get off Get off my lawn, Spielberg. Yeah. Uh, Spielberg yelling about change and you know changes in viewing habits and technology and whatnot. Of course, he's referring to HBO's decision that in 2021 uh, for them to release day and date films. And like he said, uh, all these filmmakers were paid off and he, in his words, thrown under under the bus by not being given theatrical releases. But in the same article, like one of the sentences says, I think older audiences were relieved they didn't have to step on popcorn. Yes, exactly. That's why people don't want to go. Um, and I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but I, I had kind of a terrible screening of, of Black Panther and at the end of the day it was fine, but like I had to clean my own seat before I could sit in it kind of situation. And that was just one of many yeah, things. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's the full quote. I, I think it's worth having in context, but Andy, Andy load off perfect. I think older audiences were relieved that they didn't have to step on sticky, sticky popcorn Spielberg said, but I really believe those same older audiences, once they got into the theater, the magic of being in a social situation with a bunch of strangers is a tonic. It's up to the movies to be good enough to get all audiences to, to say that to each other. When the lights come back up, we've talked about this in the show before. Totally. Like, I look, Annie and I are big believers in the magic of the silver screen. Like, sure, of course. But the problem isn't what's on the screen. It's the, <laughs> it's the theaters we're sitting in. Like, the theaters people are going to in modern America are not the same as, like, the private cinema screening Spielberg and his filmmaker buddies are taking in. Like, they're falling apart. These multiplexes are old, right? Like, prices are only getting, getting more expensive. People care less and less about theater etiquette. Half People are on their phones all the time. Like it's it's a mess. It's a mess out there. So it's 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 a battlefield, and like it's so easy for Spielberg to sit in his ivory ivory cinema tower and be like, people should be at the theater. Sure, dude, of course. But like, it's not like it used to be, right? It's it, funny. Funnily enough, it's not like it was in the movies. Like theaters aren't that awesome now, and it bums me out that this is like a, a problem. Well, and it, I mean, it can be fun to see a good movie with a big audience. Like I remember seeing Endgame, and it was like crazy or Spider-Man no way home uh, crazy at some of the moments with the audience. But recently, uh, I mean, a lot of times the audience can be not well behaved, but also you can go and there just be no one there. That's the other thing. He's assuming like every movie is just like packed with an audience. And 
you know, there's this theater that I've been going to recently that's pretty empty, even on like a Friday or Saturday evening. And like, there's like, I've seen three or four movies there with like four people in the theater. And I was like, that's not the theatrical experience either. Yeah. Uh, Spielberg is like, funnily enough, he feels so like separated to me from like the kid in the movie he is making the Fablemans about himself and his own family. Like, Young Spielberg would have loved the ability to have so much content available at, at absolute tips of tips of his fingers, like whenever he wanted to watch it. Right. Like that would be amazing. And you can you can talk towards like the the, the what am I trying to say here? Like like the disillusion of like good content versus bad. Right. High art and low art cinema versus what's on streaming services. But like what remains to be seen is like going to movies is is not for everybody it like it, it's there's a lot of reasons it's not for everybody not just the quality of the movies you're watching and i can appreciate spielberg saying we should step it up and movies should be better people should want to go to the theater right people should want to see stuff like top gun maverick but like it's just it's just a little it's just a little far removed from like reality and it, it bums me out that like this great director right the guy who made jurassic park and indiana jones and jaws like is just this way and doesn't believe in like streaming services. I, 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 you're right, Andy. It's old man's, it's an old man yelling at clouds. Yeah. And it, it's frustrating. And like I said, the, the, a lot of times these directors are really out of touch with what the average person is dealing with at the theater. Yeah. Eh, well, <laughs> uh, speaking of people who are out of touch in the film industry, uh, we have our Oscars <laughs> 2023 host. Have you heard this? Uh, Jimmy Kimmel is coming back to host the 2023 show. The ABC Late Night host will return for his third swing at the Oscars. Uh, you know, pro- probably a better pick than last year when they had, like, nobody, right, Andy? It was just a, a rolling no, they, slate of celebrities. No, they had, they had three, um, I think it was three last year, because they had, it was three comedians. Oh, yeah. Regina, I think Regina. It was. Uh, Regina Hall, Regina King, Amy Schumer, but they they, they have Amy had Schumer, trouble. King. Who's the other? I don't remember. But it's they had they've anyway. been doing. Yeah, <laughs> they haven't been able to figure out a host for a while since kind of the uh, Chris Hart, Kevin Hart rather uh, incident. Mm-hmm. And they had yeah they had kind of shared hosting. They had three hosts last time, and yeah they finally gone with Jimmy Kimmel, who I think is is uh, I think he's a fine choice. He's very very safe. Um, you know he of course he's. He has a late night show. He's been doing that forever. Got plenty of live TV experience, which I think is probably something they're looking for after the Will Smith issue uh, last time. Uh, they're just looking for someone who's more familiar with television. And again, he's on ABC. I think it's a fair. It's a family show. Like he's very safe. I'm sure he'll do fine. I'm sure it won't be anything special. Mm, yeah, I think that's true. Uh, I I think the Oscars want somebody just like kind of easy right last year they were trying to figure out how to dig themselves out they ended up like <laughs> uh, they, they, they ended up not having great ratings outside of uh will smith getting slapped right that was the big exciting thing last year uh right am i crazy that was the oscars yeah 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 exactly yeah that was yeah uh outside of that like it was a pretty quiet year and there wasn't a whole lot going on and they've kind of progressively been seeing worse ratings so why not get a professional right why why try to like do something different and like wheel it out when you can just get the guy who's getting pretty consistent ratings every night on abc like you know yeah you know you know he's going to be easy to work with Uh, it says right here uh we know he will be funny and ready for anything yes He, he will be relatively funny. He will be relatively ready for anything. Uh, yeah, sure. Like Ast- I think asterisk, he's a fine pick, asterisk, asterisk, nest too funny. 
new new listeners of the show might not like be aware how how much uh really andy in particular but me by proxy and of course on the show how much we keep up with the oscars but like they they man th- things have been dire they're gonna get themselves together I'm, i've said it once i'll say it again award shows in general thing of the past they are a product of television mm-hmm. for television and we are very quickly moving away from being a television society so at least live right. TV, TV kind of cable. And again, you can't watch the Oscars anywhere. You can't stream it. You have to watch it live. You got to go either have to have a cable package or you got to go to a bar or a Oscar party or something like that. That's the biggest problem to me. I think fundamentally is just how difficult it is to get to be able to watch it. Um, you know, that that's, that's part of what makes like influencers a, a thing. Now it's part of what makes YouTube and TikTok work like readily available to people in the palm of their hand, like within a second's notice and there's the Oscars and like, you got to find somewhere to go watch it or get a big cable package. It's owned by Disney who has Disney plot. Why isn't the Oscars streaming on Disney plus? I'm going to be crying this from the rooftops when I'm 50. I swear. Um, Anyway, we'll be covering the Oscars here, of course. That's something we do every year, so keep an eye out for our Oscar show. That is in January, February? It's not uh, December, right? I think it's late February, early March. Yeah. <laughs> keep an eye out for that, and you can roll back through Spotify or iTunes over here with listening to the show and see other episodes we've done as well about the Oscars. Uh, our next story, Kaylee's... How do you how, how do you Spainy. say this woman's name? Kaylee Spaney? Spaney? Yeah. Kaylee yeah. Spaney is in Toxic Star in a new alien movie from Fede Alvarez and 20th Century Studios. Uh Andy's new alien movie coming? Like the yeah. alien, right? Like the alien <laughs> that aliens was, alien? That was the biggest surprise to me. Yes, this is a, gonna be a reboot of the famous alien uh franchise directed by uh Ridley Scott. Originally, he will not be he's I think he's gonna executive produce or whatever on that, but he's he's not really involved. The last one, of course, was Alien Covenant, which was kind of a bomb and not a very good film. Uh, so yes, the the young Kaylee Spaney, who you might recognize from, she was in the Pacific Rim sequel and also in uh, HBO's Mayor of East Town. More recently, fine up and coming young a- actress, and uh, yeah, I, I, she'll be fine in this. I just I don't know if you can redo Alien because it's you know so much of it is the horror of the first one, and like I can only imagine in 1979 or so when that came out, like seeing that. Um, but I feel like you can only kind of do the Alien bit once because then it's it's just not scary after that. Yeah. <laughs> You're kind of right. I don't really know how you take a swing at Alien again. This is from director Fede Alvarez, the filmmaker behind Don't Breathe and 2013's Evil Dead remake. Um, So, you know, you might have some breathing room with a guy who's obviously been in the director's chair for horror, has done a reboot. For what it's worth, like 2013's Evil Dead, not bad, just different. I I think people don't have nearly the same shine for it as they do for the original. Uh, I I don't think fans are super warm on it, but... You know, not quite the same. And for Alien, I think you'd need to go that way. But, like, I think there's a little bit too much, like, fundamental Alien lore that is, like, uncovered, like like pieces of a jigsaw puzzle coming together in the first Alien movie. They're just not going to get the same charm with, right? Like, they don't even start with the Alien in Alien. They, they go to, <laughs> they go to like, a planet, and they, like, discover this, like, layer where there's these egg things, and then one attacks a guy. Like, it, it's a progression of growth across that whole story. And as, mm. as crew members are eliminated, you're reduced down to like one lone crew member left right and that happens to be sigourney weaver which was a big surprise nobody really expected that 
and then you kind of have your turn and ultimately your escape. Like that's pr- a pretty tight, like 90 minute feature. I know it's a little longer than 90. Like, I don't think you can just like put on the pants and do it again. You know what I mean? It's gotta be different. And if we're already emerging with like a lead who I would assume she's playing, um, you know, I don't have the a most younger Ripley confidence in it being <laughs> anything. Yeah. And it, it just seems like it would be a paint by numbers remake. Right. And like, that's, it's a little, little, little dry. A little boring for Alien. I think we can do better. Yeah, I mean, it's just the Alien franchise hasn't been really great after like the second one, <laughs> uh, which happens sometimes with a lot of these big budget, uh, long standing franchise. I'm actually a big fan of Prometheus. That was the first Alien movie I ever saw, so I thought it was great. Everyone hates it though. Um, yeah, I think if you're gonna do a tier list of Alien movies, Prometheus is gonna be up there a ways, right? Probably Alien Covenant would be pretty high up as well um, yeah but it, it drops off pretty quick after aliens yeah after james cameron's aliens then it's david fincher's alien 3 i don't recall who does alien i don't even know what alien force talk called resurrection yeah it's not great yeah resurrection <laughs> alien versus predator one and two those are rough yeah you know <laughs> it's fine uh yeah that's the update on alien one more one more story because we got to get to we got to get to black panther we're running way long on news <laughs> Uh, that's my fault. Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Speak of the Devil, commands a huge $181 million opening at the box office in the United States this weekend with a $331 million global opening. Marvel's biggest November launch of all time at the domestic box office. <laughs> meanwhile, no, I'll tell you meanwhile in a minute. Andy, any hot takes on Wakanda Forever crushing? I mean, good Lord. I mean, we, we knew that it was probably going to be huge. Uh, the first one was huge huge the original black panther made 1.3 billion uh we knew that the sequel was going to be massive as well and marvel stuff does really well anyways uh this is actually not done quite as well as uh doc dr strange i almost said dr madness dr strange in the multiverse of madness uh that came out in may that's actually the biggest uh opening of this year uh for marvel yeah, but this is still doing really well. It, it's it's going to have healthy legs. Uh, it's going to have a lot of... Re- it has a lot of rewatchability. Um, it'll be interesting to see just how high it can go. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I Andy says we, we aren't surprised. I think I'm a little surprised. And I know I shouldn't be. But, like, there's a couple reasons to be surprised, like, by, 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 by Black Panther doing so well. Uh, number one, the pandemic, right, knocks everything off of theaters. It's been a minute since Black Panther 1 was out. Like, we are in a different landscape. Yes, superhero movies are very popular, but even still, like, numbers have shifted, and so it's not easy to get a ton of people to turn out so quickly. Number two, obviously, uh, Black Panther is lacking its former star, which is a big step. That's that's a big step for any movie to make. Number three, it's a long feature. That that scared me really bad. I was like, this is this is gonna be a lot of time. I gotta go invest. It's gonna be an afternoon to watch Black Panther Wakanda forever, you know? I think, you know, there's a chance that maybe it's been a while. And, you know, we haven't seen haven't seen a preview of Black Panther movie. Marvel hasn't been doing that hot. Maybe this movie doesn't do so good. But like people turned out. People turned out big time for this movie, and I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, even the uh um kind of theater that i go to that's mostly empty uh it was pretty it wasn't packed but it was like half full which is huge for for that place for this and that's the first movie i've been to there that uh uh and that's over at, at fossil creek over in fort worth uh kind of right. obscure theater but yeah that's the first movie that's actually been kind of full and busy 
Yeah. Yeah. The other high profile opening of the weekend was Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans, uh, which is getting a slow platform release. They say much as a specialty film does, at least in the Hollywood Reporter, in order to build word of mouth. Um, <laughs> and I've talked about it. Not not that into seeing the Fablemans. I think I'm more into it than Andy, but I I, I think it'll take us yeah. a minute to get around to it because a lot of exciting stuff coming out. Not into it at all. But yeah, <laughs> not all great. Uh, well, with that, I do want to get into the movie. Before we do, though, Andy, you said you had a particularly heinous screening experience. Yeah, so I went to go see this, and oh, let's see. Uh, there was Coke had been kind of spilled, you know, a fountain drink had been spilled all over my, uh, not on the seat itself, but like on the cup holder area. So I had to go get a bunch of napkins and just kind of like wipe down. And it was assigned seating, so I didn't want to move or change. Um, there were people talking. Savages there, of the theater, man. There were people on their phones. Yeah. There were people with the, that had flashlights on trying to figure out where to go. Uh, people uh, Love got... That guy in front of me literally was ha- like got a call and answered it on the phone a couple times wow there were that's great there were some y- younger kids who i could tell got it's a long movie and i could tell some some of the kids had were having trouble just paying attention and staying in their seats so i eventually got a bunch of kids standing in the aisle talking to each other because they're getting kind of bored of the movie um so this is the this is the theatrical experience that steven spielberg does not have to deal with <laughs> Right, that Spielberg is like it, we have to make movies so good that people are just enraptured the whole time. Like Spielberg, like just seems to fundamentally lack like the idea of attention economy. Sorry, I, I'm 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 gonna go over on the Spielberg thing. Uh, and like, anyway, I, I'm sorry it was not great. Uh, mine was pretty good. I was out in Phoenix where I saw it, and it was pretty quiet. I guarantee you, yeah. if. Uh, I, yeah, I guarantee you, if uh, if he had to deal with that stuff, he would be all about the streaming uh, experience. Right, I I agree. With that, we should probably get into the review. Andy's gonna be taking the summary on this one. Andy, please uh, take it away. Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. So this is the sequel to the 2018 Black Panther, directed by Ryan Coogler. That film, of course, starred the late Chadwick Boseman, um, whose death has been written into this film. The the movie opens with a funeral scene, essentially, uh, both of mourning and a celebration of life of T'Challa, which is also serves as a real-life remembrance of, of Chadwick Boseman. Uh, there is... And that looms over the whole film, this tribute to to him, both his person, his character in the film and, and in real life. Uh, when the Marvel lo- logo comes up that has usually all the different heroes and a big you know, music behind, it comes up completely silent and it's just scenes of Chadwick Boseman throughout his tenure as the Black Panther. And it's just, um, it's so moving. And that's what a lot of this movie is. Like I said, it, that his, his death, looms large both in real life and with the characters on screen so as (laughs) moving on to our plot um following the events of the first film wakanda has been uh kind of realized by the rest of the world as has vibranium which everyone the superpowers that be american french russian are they're all trying to find it vibranium that is uh all over the world they're trying to get their hands on it Eventually, some is detected in the ocean of all places, not in not just in Wakanda, which they thought was impossible. 
and we see the emergence of these kind of sea people that look very similar to the people in Avatar. Um, they're they're blue, and we're introduced to the the film's uh, antagonist, uh, Namor, played by uh, Tanaquerta, who is uh, kind of he's a little bit like Aquaman. He's king of these sea people, has the secret kingdom. They're like underwater Wakanda, basically, and uh, he sees the discovery of his nation as a huge threat and wants to attack the surface world before that uh, he can be attacked. And he wants Wakanda to join them in his fight and so uh the leaders of, of wakanda uh shuri queen ramonda played by An angela bassett are all put in this kind of impossible situation of uh you are either with us or against us and if you're not with us then you are my enemy and we'll suffer the the consequences of that so that's our our setup there's a whole lot of this movie that i, that I think works really well some things that kind of don't that are a little clunky but we'll get into it zach what'd you think so Black Panther, like I mentioned previous, like is is a really challenging film to follow up because of the lack of our hero. Like they they have to figure out a way. The filmmakers have to figure out a way. Ryan Coogler, the director, and Marvel by proxy, to like satisfyingly close off the introduction, the very early introduction of who is otherwise an incredibly popular hero, Chadwick Boseman's Black Panther, and like follow that with what is a heartfelt like message to fans while also being like a compelling story <laughs> and a full film with a beginning middle and an end that ultimately like continues uh the work done before by chadwick uh with the character and and also like satisfies you know the future of what's coming next i don't know how you do that uh, I, I I really don't. And, and I was pretty skeptical walking into Black Panther Wakanda forever, uh, not only because of like my general skepticism towards like, how are they going to make this interesting? Marvel has not been making really awesome movies lately. I don't know what they're going to do here. Uh, and the runtime, which is pretty hefty at two hours, 41 minutes. Uh, but I'm really pleased to say like Black Panther Wakanda forever is actually pretty good. I, I think I might actually like it more than the first one. Uh, which is a, a really surprising to me. I did not think I was going to come around. I was not convinced by Namor and uh, the, 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 the underwater <laughs> people that do happen to resemble Avatar a bit. It's true. Um, I, I was not convinced by, I don't know, where I thought they were going to go next. I'm actually really surprised uh, with how well it came out. So where do we start talking about this, Andy? It's, it's a really full movie, and I don't want to give away too much. Right, I, I think we can start with our our cast. Um, the, our main character is actually uh, Letitia Wright, uh, who plays Shuri, who was Black Panther's sister um, in in the film. And like all these actors are bringing real life grief to this role. I mean, they all worked with Chadwick Boseman on the previous film in real life, and uh, they're having to deal with his absence on and off off screen. Uh, but she is not necessarily taking up, up the mantle, but she's just she's part of the people hurting uh she's part of the people having to deal with this like wakanda kind of being exposed not having the the black panthers protector um of course i haven't mentioned angela bassett bassett as well as the queen mother queen ramonda winston duke duke is back as mbaku who is oh, oh he's one of the best characters in the, in the series yeah, he's a lot uh, of fun. yeah uh danae guerrera is back as okoye lupita nyango as nakia uh martin freeman shows up as uh the cia guy who he's been in a couple of these he was more prominent in the first 
uh, Black Panther, his role made a little bit more sense. Yes, it's a little bit shoehorn. And but but we we have a big wonderful cast who uh, is actually primarily uh, they're all women women and women of color. There, like I said, Letitia Wright, uh, Queen Ramonda, and Nakia are the the three kind of main main characters driving driving the our the plot forward. We're also introduced to uh, yeah. Riri Williams, uh, otherwise known as Ironheart, uh, played by Dominique Thorne. Uh, yeah, and of course, Tanakh Huerta coming in as Namor. Uh, this is his this is introducing film. I, I think he's done stuff before this, but this was e- easily his first big break, and he's playing the villain uh, in, in a rather large feature. Um, I I think the cast here has some real challenges because they've they've got to work around like the biggest cast member who is like surprisingly not there right like and 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 i think the best way to kind of like follow up uh chadwick boseman's boseman's legacy is to make him a huge part of this movie which he is like he he is he is a huge part of this film like and and him not being there is not only like addressed but the film is built around it um it's got a very powerful opening like andy said uh very very stark uh that, that very quickly like gets to like the heart of what is happening uh in the in the universe of the black panther in wakanda uh and sets up like the the follow-up of a story of like where do we go without our king um it it definitely gives a gives a gives our cast like a lot of room to run not everybody like you said martin freeman is totally sure did like shouldn't I, I I was thinking about him over the weekend. I was like, why are his scenes even in the movie? Like, I don't I don't even really, really know what what he does. Was compared to the first one, like he's in a bunch of it. He's 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 involved in the fight at the end. Like it's it's there's a lot going on. Um, meanwhile, like Tanakh Huerta comes in as Namor and introduces like a really interesting character who's surprisingly multifaceted and, and, and kind of like an entirely different subculture of these people who live below the sea who have their own games, like, and, and, and their own means, right. And, and they're ridiculous, of course, like anything in a Marvel movie, but like ultimately are like surprisingly well done. Um, I didn't actually see DC's Aquaman, so I may not have like the best reference for, like comic book underwater communities uh, as has been seen in the last decade on screen. But like for what it's worth, I was actually really charmed by what's going on here. I still like that Wakanda feels like a part of a global system. Like early in the movie, uh, if you don't recall from black Panther one, the only place to find vibranium on earth is Wakanda. It's the only place it can be found. So early in this feature, like we have, uh, global dictators inviting uh, queen ramonda to come in and and basically say hey your king is gone you i mean you should you should come around on giving us that vibranium eh and like not only does wakanda have to deal with like the problems of namor and like you know fight fight and fights for fight's sake like in any comic book movie they also have to deal with like the entire world looking at them now and saying hey your guy's gone and we want what you have, like, and we think you're weak and we and we're going to come take it. And it like it puts everybody in this in this funny position of like vulnerability, but also being incredibly defensive um, by by everything yeah. around them. It's an international incident. And Black Panther has always been about kind of geopolitics. The in the first one, the conflict is really about isolation, a policy of isolationism versus globalism. And, you, you know, um, Chadwick Boseman, T'Challa wants to keep things closed. He wants to keep Wakanda to itself and not worry about. And uh, Eric Killmonger, 
uh, played by Michael B. Jordan, he wants the opposite. He wants to go on the aggressive. He wants to n- let the world know we're here and, you know, take things by force, kind of. So it's it's very political tension, political issues, uh, global issues that drive this. And it makes it a much more kind of an in-depth film. And, and it's a real-world conflict, you know. It, you, vibranium's kind of a stand-in for something like oil. Right. Like, yeah, draw draw of natural resources from what in the real world is usually underdeveloped countries, like in the world of Black Panther is a hyper-developed country because of those resources. Like Wakanda is successful because they have been able to harvest like what has been given to them in, in and like grow from that. And they're able to like combat the dangers of the world with that. And that's a big part of the reason they don't want to give it out. It's a little, it's a little bit of the like Tony Stark like weapons problem from like Iron Man one and two, right? When they were like, you should give your Iron Man suit to the government. And he's like, absolutely not. That's the worst idea ever, right? Like, I don't, I don't want everybody to have one of these things. That's how we got Stark missiles. Um, That is blown up to be even bigger in this movie. And I think that's a good thing like that. That makes it feel so much larger and it gives us like a really, an entirely, an an entirely new level of like implication and and sadness that comes from like the loss of T'Challa. Like that makes it an even bigger deal that like there, there, there is no safe place for like the people of Wakanda. They, they need that person. They need that for that protector. Um, Not only as like just a cool CGI comic book hero, (laughs) but like is genuinely an influence. It's like if Gotham lost Batman Batman, and in the next movie, they're talking about like the impact of not having Bruce Wayne on the genuine economy of the world. Like it's a big deal. And like, that's a really smart way to get into it. It helps me. It helps the movie feel full, adds a lot of impact for pacing in a two and a half hour feature. Right. And I was going to say that reminds me of some of the clunky things that don't really work. So there's a kind of a, one of the plot devices is that uh, this machine that the CIA uses to find Vibranium has been built by Riri Williams, aka Ironheart, who this is her kind of introduction. Iron Ironheart will take over. She she has a suit. She's like Iron Man, basically. Um, it's a real clumsy introduction of the character. It take and it kind of just goes off into left field for a while while they because they they find her, they got to bring her back. They got to you know we got to talk, work things out. You got to stop helping the CIA. This sort of thing. It's and she's fine. Uh, she, and you know she's a she goes she teenager. She goes to MIT, real spunky. Uh, it just can't, feels really forced and, and adds a lot of time to the movie that that probably doesn't need to be there. Yeah, uh, it's kind of a shame. I the, the 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 woman that plays her, Dominique Thorne, is actually really funny and really charming, and like has a really fresh voice. Like in the universe, I think she's great. But like when she actually suits up and takes off, and you see like the CGI sequences of her fighting, my mind started to wander of like all those stories I've heard of Marvel like churning and burning VFX studios, and I'm watching it like there's not a lot of substance here. Like, the actual hero is not that interesting. Like, the girl, okay, yeah, like, uh, all right, I can, I can kind of get into Riri Williams, like, super genius. I, Ironheart's a, a bit of a, a bit of a bore, a bit of a snooze fest in this one. Additionally, uh, Martin Freeman's role, like I, like I said previously, is, is almost does not need to be present. You do get some really fun appearances from Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Uh, she appears as a character who's previously been in... 
God, she but, shows up at the end of Bla- uh, Black, Black Widow, Widow and a couple other things. Yeah. She's in, uh, 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 Falcon Winter Soldier, she yeah. shows up at the end of. She's supposed to be this kind of character, and she steals all of his scenes. She's she's much more interesting than he is, I think. Yeah, this is one um, of the, the things that's not done particularly well. No one knows who she is or why she's important. Like you, it's it's no. you know she you know she's a she's a big deal actress so you know it's not just a small role. Uh, she plays a character named she's, Valentina, I think, and she will go yeah, on she's, to she will go on to be the uh, leader of the Thunderbolts. I I think, which are kind of like Suicide Squad. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's just I, like no one knows if you don't know who this are. I've had to explain this who this character is to people, and I've had to look it up myself. And so like, they right. do a really poor job of explaining why she's in the movie. <laughs> they gave her this uh, a terrible, terrible choice of hairstyle. They gave her this like one purple like strand of hair off her front bangs that's not been in the previous versions of her, I don't think. I think every time we've seen her previous, she's just had like standard black hair. And it looks so goofy. Like a CIA director has got like this, like it just Streak doesn't work. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, like I don't take it serious. I don't think other people do either. It lets you know she's important, kind of. But like in this movie, she doesn't have a lot of impact. Ultimately, like I, I, I realize I'm nitpicking, but I, I did think like a lot of what's here is effective. What doesn't work in the runtime is like just how long some of these scenes run, and yeah, how you could have trimmed down some of those subplots. Like there are multiple scenes where Letitia Wright is talking to Dominic Thorne, Riri's character, about like some idea they have or something they're gonna cook up. Um, even if it's moving towards like a larger part of the plot and like you just get kind of bored halfway through it like you just stop paying attention but then it'll cut back to like what Queen Ramon is doing and you're like okay yeah I'm, I'm back into this right or like Mbaku will stroll into a scene and start a big booming voice like that'll be kind of fun but like it it does suffer I think in its size like they they, they can stay to trim this down a bit yeah absolutely it's, it's a little long-winded that we get a lot of backstory of uh when we meet uh namor and we visit kind of this undersea kingdom uh, a lot of time is dedicated to that that could probably be trimmed up a little bit i i liked it i really but it's almost like it starts to feel like a different movie which i'd be very interested to see yeah. but it's just uh it, it's a lot of time it's funny I, I thought that too like i think the the second act and third act feel like distinctly different interpretations of Namor and his like kind of underwater Atlantean society. And I was like, these feel very different. Like, I don't know how that ends up happening. Maybe that happens in the editing room, but I I did think it, that was long winded when it, when it cuts to his flashback, he starts talking about his past and it cuts to a physical flashback on screen. And I was like, Oh no, (laughs) we're going to like watch a 10 minute sequence of, of like Namor's backstory, which is fine. But uh, you know, like, like always, they, they could tighten it up a little bit. One thing I did enjoy was uh, the music. The music's super good. Yeah, excellent uh, score. Andy pointed out because he saw it before me. Yeah, Andy, any any, any hot takes on the score? So uh, it was scored by composer Ludwig Gorenson, who we first met on Tenet, uh, which we, we didn't actually meet him in real life, but <laughs> we got came to know on Tenet, uh, Christopher yeah. Nolan's film. Uh, he also... Uh, did the score for the first uh, Black Panther, uh, which I mostly just kind of remember the theme, but he's a huge name now. Um, he did, he scored the Mandalorian, <laughs> the book of Boba Fett, which, which the, don't worry about that one, but, but he, he's doing, he's a major, <laughs> he, he's a major, major film composer now. And he's in, he's yeah. up there now with uh, Hans Zimmer. And I, I mean, I, I, he could be another John Williams kind of, 
character, and he just yeah. uh, he has great themes and just different kind of sc- scoring. The the way um, it's very different, very modern. It, it's it doesn't sound like Alan Silvestri who did like he's famous for the Avengers theme or like John Williams. It's it's a mix mixture of more modern stuff, a lot of like heavy electric guitar, really awesome scoring. Yeah, really fantastic score. One of the things that did not work so much for me is a bit of the CGI fight scenes. Like, I I know, like, watching a Marvel movie at this point is not like watching something really grounded. You know, you're kind of watching, like, a, you know, an experience. It's more akin to watching, like, a cartoon or a music video, I think. Um, And what's surprising is how much more that's felt, I think, when the writing and the scenes that aren't all CGI uh, is really good. Like, we'll... Like I think the first act of this movie has a lot of like really really profound like character development and and considerations. It's not all good, you know. It's not all perfect, but a lot of it really works. And then you get like you know a ten minute like comic book CGI fight sequence, and you're just like, oh yeah, I forgot. Like this is <laughs> this is like this is a Marvel movie, and we have to get to these bits. It didn't used to be that way. I, I think it is worsened by the fact that i think some of the cgi fights are not good and if again any of those vfx rumors studio rumors are to be true like 17 different studios worked on these and you know who knows which studio worked on one sequence versus another like i genuinely thought the Ironheart stuff looked bad but like the namor stuff flying around looks really good like it looks like he can fly and he's got real speed and momentum even though it's like a really goofy gimmick he's got ankles on his wings like hermes but like the the Riri Williams stuff, the Iron stuff, like I could barely see her. It's blurry. Stuff moves by too fast, and it's like it's legitimately different teams of people. Like it's not even one cohesive like hive mind putting all of this together at this point. So I don't know. Just a weird. Maybe I overthought it. What do you What do you think, Andy? Yeah the the action. I, I thought it starts better than it than it ends. Like a lot of the action scenes in the first act are are pretty good, but it gets to be that thing where it's like the Jason Bourne really quick cuts in the fight scenes and you can't really know you don't really know what's going on and it's happened so fast and the edits are so fast that uh it's like they choreographed you know three moves at a time and then called cut every time and just splice it all together because you can't really tell what's happening it seems to not you know that way doesn't have long um it doesn't have long choreographed fight stuff you it's to make it look fast it looks real sloppy uh definitely better in the beginning when it's kind of smaller this film some, somehow kind of feels... I, I, I feel like the third act is actually kind of the weakest part because it begins as this yeah, big inter, international incident. Like, our, our country doesn't have its protector. Our resources are being sought after. And then it it, it just somehow gets smaller and it's just like this group of people punching this the, this group of people by the end of it. And it's like, oh, it's kind of a letdown. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and this, there's this... This is, this is yeah. something that, that Aquaman... Um, does really well, and you haven't seen it. But at the end of Aquaman, there is a massive undersea battle, giant like crab things. There's like ships and fish, and there's a million things on screen, and it made a billion dollars because of the spectacle. That's what this kind of needs at the end, and we don't get that. Yeah, um, but I think what is here is strong. Like I, I think it does a really good job of like hitting all of the emotional marks in the writing. Uh, Ryan Coogler wrote it along with the uh, original writer. I don't recall his name, but I'll find it in a second. Um, like, I, I think that stuff works really well. I, I think it is bogged down a little bit by runtime, a little bit by, you know, the traditional comic book action elements you'd expect. 
and it's kind of a shame. Like I, I, I was reminded of larger features that don't focus so much on, you know, fighting, um, you know, something like maybe Avengers civil war, obviously a lot of fighting civil war or even like Watchmen, right? Like, like is not focused so much on just being a generic action movie. Uh, and this movie I think starts to make that step. I think it's stronger of like the phase four features. I think it's going to be up there with like Spider-Man or Dr. Strange. Um, Again, really good score. I know I already said that, but like, dude, I've been I've been, I've been listening. The scores are yeah. really good. <laughs> I was thinking, we've read like this is best best score of the year material, big time. I was thinking we should start a like a off script playlist highlight soundtracks that uh, we come across uh, for for the listeners. Um, yeah, it, it's any both... other thoughts before? Oh, Just the the other the only other thing that's kind of clunky is. Anything that ties to the larger MCU is just not done very well. And that's things like the introduction of Ironheart. That's like the, the CIA characters involved. Uh, these are obviously setting up larger MCU things or connections to the MCU. That's what works the least uh, in this movie. It takes up a lot of time. It's really shoehorned in. It's not well explained if you're not familiar um, and it doesn't really point to anything interesting either. So that's kind of the only other uh, criticism I had. Andy, would you recommend Black Panther Wakanda Forever? Yeah, absolutely. This is probably, this is either the best or one of the best in Marvel Phase 4. It's a touching, touching tribute to the late Chadwick Boseman. Um, it does a good job of, of carrying his legacy into this, but also being its its own film having to rely and find new heroes, introducing some new characters, bringing back some old favorites. Lots of fun. Big action scenes. Sometimes they work better than others. It's a little long at 2 hours and 40 minutes, but overall, highly recommend. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I think Black Panther working on it forever is super good. I think I like it more than the first one, and I, I like the first one just fine, but like, I've genuinely been thinking back to this one. I've been I've been kind of pouring over it in my head like as... as as the week has gone on since I've seen it, um, I would recommend. I think it's I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, obviously, you should stop drinking water uh, 24 hours before you go to the theater because you don't want to have to get up and go to the bathroom in the middle. Although I think there's plenty of room to do that. Like it is not. It's got good pacing. It moves effectively. I think it's thoughtful. Like I, I think it's emotional. I think it's genuinely a good tribute uh, to 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 a hero we've lost. Like I think that's a good thing. Um, uh, yeah, I think Black Panther for, what kind of, I think Black Panther Wakanda Forever is super good. I think you should go see it. Uh and it'll also be on Disney Plus in like 90 days, so, you know. Yep. <laughs> if you don't if you don't go see it, good news. Uh it'll be coming to a screen near you uh, sooner rather than later. With that, we should move on to our middle segment here. Uh Andy, you mind introing this for us? It's time for the death of cinema. So we're going to be talking about Tarantino, who's been in the news a lot lately uh, for a number of different uh, reasons. He's got some hot takes on on uh, current trends, and he's also has an exciting uh, new announcement. So, uh, Zach, what do you know about this? Uh, so I wasn't really sure what exactly we were going to talk about for the cinema segment this week. Uh, we've been off for an extra week because I had a big uh, work trip. Uh, and originally we we're going to talk about Spielberg. And that's part of the reason I was so fired up to talk about him in the open because I was like, oh my God, I can talk about Spielberg forever. An old man shouting at clouds. But Tarantino's been making some waves. Uh, I've got three different articles about him this week. Number one, 
I think we'll just take them one at a time. Uh, at number one, Tarantino uh, says that Marvel directors are hired hands, so he won't join the MCU because, quote, I'm not looking for a job. This is hilarious because, uh, one, it's so condescending. My God. Uh, number two, Andy's been saying this for months. <laughs> <laughs> And it's not every day I see a headline that just like lands right on the nail. Andy's been pounding that at this point, most Marvel features are just like what project management. Yeah. Right? How, how do you describe it? Yeah, like like project managers. They they don't have any say. They're just there to get it done. It's like the the guy make the construction guy making sure your house gets built. He didn't design it. He's just there to make sure like you know the concrete guys there, the framer, the you know, windows, whatever. Um, that's how these Marvel movies are. They're almost created by committee, and then they just get someone to get it done without having a whole lot of personal input on it. And and Quentin Tarantino has started to kind of recognize this. He said, these are hired hands. These are people looking to build and pad resumes. Yeah, it's it's so it's so condescending, right? Like from the man who's made nine <laughs> movies, uh, because Tarantino has said for a long time that a filmography should be a body of work. He said that he he will do ten films and that's it, and he stands by that. Like even in interviews today, when asked, he says, "Yes, I want to do ten, and then I'm out." Uh, so it's funny to hear him get in here and just say it so much like it is. I think I think how a lot of people see it, and like Marvel has not helped their case. Uh, obviously movies like Black Panther stand apart. Uh, and I know, I know Tarantino and Raimi are good friends, so I'm sure he doesn't mind Dr. Strange and multiverse of madness, but like, I, I think we can agree that like in general, these movies are, are pretty simple and they're not too complicated. And Marvel sets the bar pretty low for its directors and fills in the rest with CGI and green screen sets that Christian Bale's walking around. Like what, where am I going? What, what is, what is this supposed to be today? You know, I think Tarantino, sees himself as very different from that he steps apart from it and he wants to you know get over it he said he wants people to get over it he, he says right here he said uh today's filmmakers can't wait for the day that superhero movies fall out of favor in the same way 1960s directors rejoiced when popularity for studio musicals waned that's how he feels like he he's like we need to get over this because <laughs> superhero movies are getting in the way um you know i, I think for the most part andy and i agree i, I think that's yeah it, and I'm it, right? as someone who, who's you know I'm a huge fan of, of superhero of comics and superheroes and superhero movies, but I also you know would like uh, you know other original movies to also get some of the share and get in the limelight. And like I said, it's created a problem inadvertently that sure everyone and their mother will come out for Spider Man and Black Panther, but when you put anything else that's not a recognized property, it's a ghost town in in, in the theater. You know when. We talk about something like the Banshees of Inisherin, Decision to Leave, Triangle of Sadness, all these other tar, all these these movies that have got all this Oscar hype. Like no one is going to see those. We have a hard time look finding even places that play them half the time. Yeah, and Tarantino like as his own issues with Disney as well. Uh, he said uh, during his old Hateful Eight. Uh, roadshow that he was like really struggling to get his movie in theaters because Disney was running Star Wars and they were they were willing to shut out other theaters like and 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 sh and, and lose business over people not willing to run Star Wars. So I get it. Like I, I get I get how Tarantino feels about the machine. That being said, he doesn't seem that opposed to streaming services. Uh, he announced that he is planning to shoot an eight episode TV series 
next year. This might sound like a far cry for Tarantino fans who have heard him say that he's only making 10 movies and his next one's it. But he's actually talked about this before. I remember an interview a few years ago. He did a director's roundtable and he literally talked about this. He said, actually, I love the idea of a series. I'd love to shoot eight, 10 episodes on something like HBO, like make it you know, real flashy, like really its own thing. Um, Andy, hot takes on Tarantino doing TV. Now is the time for him to be doing that because TV and prestige TV is so top notch. Like we we have TV series that are on par with the quality that films are made now. So now is the time when you want uh, a high level director, you know, in the past uh, 10, 20, 30 years ago, you, you never, if you were in movies, you didn't want to be in TV because that's, that was seen as a lesser form of art. But now that the quality is virtually the same, but you can tell longer stories. It's definitely a cool time to get big directors in, into the TV scene. Yeah, I, I think a Tarantino series like sells itself. I, I think his Tarantino. I, I think one of the big things that makes Tarantino work, besides his like really like put it all on the wall action sequences, um, is his ability to like use suspense. He, he's got that famous quote about pulling suspense is like a rubber band right you just pull it tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter till it's just about to snap and then you just hold it for as long as possible and let the audience just like sweat the idea of it snapping and then you do something with it right you either snap it or you don't snap it whatever and i think he's like really got that down to a science i think like an eight episode series out of him would be fantastic and i i don't know if it'll happen tarantino's talked about projects before uh there was a while he was talking with paramount about making a star wars movie or a star trek movie since then he said he's steering away from that project uh you know, Tarantino's the kind of guy to shoot his mouth off, and you never know what exactly he's going to do. But even still, I think it's a cool idea. But one thing that also came out of this series of interviews from him, really, I, I should clarify, I know where this is all coming from. He's got a book out uh, called Cinema Speculation, yeah. and he's been promoting it. So that's where a lot of this is coming from, him going out to promote it, quotes from the book. But the last thing I wanted to talk about, uh, Quentin Tarantino says his favorite movie or his best movie of his filmography is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is weird. It's the most recent movie, and there's a lot of people who would probably say, no, no, it's Jackie Brown. No, it's Pulp Fiction. It's Kill Bill Volume 2, of course. I guess I wanted to ask Andy, uh, do you have a favorite Tarantino movie, and what do you think about him? I don't know. What do you think about this? Because I I can't really get a read on it. I have a soft spot for Death Proof, (laughs) of of all things, uh, just because it's so campy. Uh, you know, and it's a tribute to those B horror movies, and it's it's got just a really unique premise of these uh, these car chases and the, these girls that are kind of get revenge on the, on this killer played by uh, not Jeff Bridges, the other guy. <laughs> oh, I can't remember. Oh, uh, Kurt, yeah, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, thank you. Stepman Bob, Stepman yeah, yeah. Mike. Um, so that that one's a lot of fun. I, I think Django Unchained, I think, is probably one of his his best though uh for for me it's it's got action it's about very serious subject matters still very entertaining you know uh things like that i love this quote he's gotten here uh if, if tarantino considers once upon a time in hollywood his best movie then it's grindhouse or death proof that he considers his most misunderstood uh because grindhouse came out and made like 25 million dollars gross like just horrible bomb 
Uh, and he said, I think me and me and Robert Rodriguez, who directed the other half of it, uh, just felt that people had a little more of a concept of the history of double features and exploitation, <laughs> exploitation movies. Gosh. No, they didn't at all. They had no idea what the F they were watching. <laughs> it, it meant nothing to them what we were doing. <laughs> So that was a case of being a little too cool for school. Yeah, all right, Tarantino. Uh, yeah, I, 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 my favorite. I think everybody's got their favorite. Mine, mine is shamelessly Re- Reservoir Dogs. Um, I can't remember. What, I, I watched that movie when I was really coming up on trying to watch a lot of movies to get ready for school because I wanted to really get into to film and do more. And I, the idea of a movie where like all of the action, the the whole big event never happens on screen. And like the, the whole movie is about what happens immediately following this awful tragedy, this awful event that you, you don't see was awesome to me. And I still think that's really neat. And for a first big entry is really baffling. I know people like Jackie Brown though. Um, I don't know. I think Tar- Tarantino's got a lot of hot takes. Cinema Speculation will be available soon, I believe. I don't think it's actually out. You can get it in your favorite book stores. And with that, we should probably move on to our final uh, film of the episode. Running real long. So, Andy, if we can do this one in eight minutes, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> that. We can probably run over that. It's fine. Uh, the movie is... I'm going to be taking the summary on this one, so please excuse my clumsy delivery. The movie is The Banshees of Inishirin. <laughs> Now, if I've done something to you, just tell me what I've done to you. Well, you didn't do anything to me. I just don't like you no more. So the Banshees of Inishirin is the story of Padrick. Padrick? Padrick? Padrick. Uh, and Colm. Padrick and Colm, uh, played by Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, two mainstay actors in Martin McDonough's film, filmography, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Padrick and Colm, Padrick and Colm are best friends uh, on Inishirin, a, a Scottish isle, I believe. I don't even really know where it is. Uh, kind of this rocky, craggly outcropping of grass and donkeys and <laughs> sharp rocks and, and water uh, just out, you know, out, out in the northern parts of Ireland and uh, Scotland. I'm not. I'm not even really sure. Anyway, uh, the two of them are great friends uh, until one day, uh, Podrick is walking to the pub and he sees Colm, and Colm wants nothing to do with him, and he just kind of says, "Well, I, I I find you boring, and I don't want to talk to you anymore." And <laughs> Patrick's confused and he consults his sister Shaban and this real goofy kid named Dominic and, and uh, ultimately decides, well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to figure out what my friend's problem is and I'm going to talk to him. And when, when he's suddenly presented with a, 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 a horrible ultimatum from Colm and uh, nightmarish even, and <laughs> uh, that ultimatum turns out to have shocking results. Uh, it is a dark comedy uh, and drama from Martin McDonough, director of Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, and more interestingly of this cast, uh, In Bruges, a uh, film that came out a while, about 2007, I think, starring Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson as two hitmen kind of friends who are on the run. Uh, now we have this, the two of them reunited with their director. Uh, obviously some hot chemistry on screen between the three of them, very funny, very fiery. The movie is The Banshees of Inishir and Andy, what'd you think? I really enjoyed this. It's a lot of fun. It's really funny and also really profound and, and a little sad uh, as well. Um, it Again, the the central plot is really funny is these two men who have been friends for years. It, it seems uh, one just doesn't want to talk to the other anymore and doesn't really ha- have a good reason. But the, the film's about so much more. It's kind of like uh, about this isolation uh, and, you know, also things like, like mental health, uh, 
all the men on this island are struggling. I, I jokingly called it the the incels of, of Inishirin because all, all these men are kind of, they got problems. They're not well adjusted. They're not good at finding solutions or kind of breaking out of the, the things that they, uh, their situations. Um, Podrick lives with his, his sister, Siobhan, played by Carrie Condon. They have a little farm. Uh, he tends to the animals. Uh, she, it's clear that, that she's smart. It, it's funny because they, you know, she goes and talks to to Colm and, and says, you know, what, why, aren't, why aren't you talking to him? And he's like, well, he's a little dull. And she's like, yeah, he is. But but still, it's not very nice, and we, we, which is another which yeah. is another big theme is that he keeps saying he's like, well, you know, n- nice doesn't matter. Nice doesn't get you anywhere in this world. It's just, uh, you know, Colm is is very much uh, he's a musician. He's a viol- violinist and uh, he's kind of in his art he wants to leave something behind he's starting starting to worry about legacy and he just doesn't have time uh for Hodrick. uh meanwhile dominic played by barry keown uh is another person he's he's young he's got no one to date or marry he's very socially awkward you know clearly has a big crush on on siobhan but doesn't really know how to appropriately uh talk to women the men are struggling are struggling bad in in this (laughs) sure are uh colin says he he's ha- colin podrick says he's happy uh but he's very lonely always wants to bring the animals inside so he can have some more more company and it's the all of this is also set back against the the background of the i think it's 1920s it, it's, it's the uh sure. irish civil war of like the 20s i think maybe 1918 around around that era um, that is happening in the background, and you, and you hear gunfire and mortar fire kind of constantly throughout out the f- the film, and it, it's very haunting. It's very funny. It's so I, I was in a small theater, not a lot of people there. Was laughing my ass off, like some some really good bits, and it's it's this like the specter of death, and there's literally a woman who w- wanders around the island who's old and like wears all black, who is clearly a stand-in for the for the Grim Reaper. Um, which is also just a funny bit. Yeah. Uh, Martin McDonough feels to be like on the cutting edge of black comedy, like not quite. I know obviously you can be a lot drier than this, but like it is a surprisingly good watch first time because I think people who aren't even really into dark comedy will laugh at multiple sequences in this feature, like because it is genuinely funny on its face. But the brilliance of it is as you look deeper and as you kind of peer further inside, like the story of these two guys, like you start to find that like it's a it's about a lot more than that. It it, it has much larger themes. Uh, the idea of these people like kind of on this aisle far away while there's like war and famine and agony happening just over the horizon, like is it presents this feeling of like being away or being being separated a, a purgatory of sorts uh this character like andy said who is basically a stand-in for death lying around, so great uh just out and about is like really goofy and it's funny because like colin farrell's character Padraig is like terrified of her is <laughs> like avoiding her but also like speaks a lot towards his character of this person who is kind of avoiding these larger ideas of like death and legacy, you know, meanwhile, Colm is like imbued by it. And you never get a good look at these guys like before this. I mean, the movie literally opens on the day Podrick's like, what do you mean you don't want to talk to me anymore? Why not? And in that way, like fundamentally, it's like a breakup movie. Like it really is. Uh, it's, it's, it's two people who are in a relationship and just don't want to be in one anymore. And one doesn't get, why 
but it steps further like because it, it presents a kind of like nightmarish ultimatum don't talk to me or i'll do this and then your characters have to wrestle with like well what does that mean why is this person pushing the envelope um it's it's surprisingly effective in its writing and i think mcdonough like knocks it out of the park yeah it, it's it's so clever and it, both of its writing the the kind of plots and the, the main plot and subplots are are interesting uh carrie condon's character uh siobhan is she's a very pretty person but is like is not married and this is kind of an issue because it's the 1920s in ireland and everyone kind of is mean to her about it and like if they want to get her they they kind of bring that up they're like well why are you still not married um and she's the only person on this whole godforsaken island that seems to have any kind of agency and is willing to like look you know take a good look at herself and said i'm not happy with these situations i want to try and change them and that's what these men kind of have an inability uh to do you know they they they're preoccupied with other things but ultimately they're, they're just not happy and they're um, basically blaming everyone but themselves for it. Yeah. And, and like, I think what's interesting is how you could read these characters in your own life. Right. Like I think, I think Podrick's a character who seems uniquely like, you know, relatively pleased with like his current standing. And like, really he's one of the only characters who doesn't seem to want things to change much at all. He likes going to the pub. He, he like he likes hanging out with his sister. You know, he, he likes his friend who's kind of eccentric. Um, he likes his donkey. Like he's kind of a simple mm-hmm. character. And while other characters are seeking to better themselves, like he almost wants things to stay the same. And it's dealing with like this sadness that comes from like change, you know, and how change is hard and difficult, but ultimately is good for you. Uh, and meanwhile, having characters who just don't want to change at all, uh, or some that, that change for reasons you don't understand, right? Colm makes it very clear. I, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Cause I just don't like you anymore. Like, I, I'm not sure I ever really liked you in the first place. And, and it's, 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 that seems really challenging, especially because we don't get any of the satisfaction of seeing the relationship before the film starts. Um, ultimately it's one of those movies of like adults hanging out, talking in rooms that Andy and I really go for, especially on Oscar season. Um, but I'm surprised at how well it's shot. I am very little green screen. It is all out in Ireland and they are shooting and mm-hmm. it's great. Big wide lenses, big landscapes, lots of sunsets. Um, it's a very good looking movie. I think another thing that stands out to me is the, uh, there's lots of religious Im- imagery and lots of scenes will be opened with like this looming either. A lot of it's are like Celtic crosses or there's like, the the virgin mary that just kind of and this whole thing is like looming over the entire island and like the the church is kind of a central part but also not super helpful uh you know there there's some really funny scenes of characters going uh to confession which are pretty interesting uh there's a yeah there's a great scene i, I agree uh, there's a great scene uh in there's a movie this movie reminds me of and i'm not sure i think i can kind of nail down why but i don't think other people will relate but here it is because i feel like i should say it it reminds me of dumb and dumber um because <laughs> uh dumb and dumber is a movie that really works because jim carrey plays his character lloyd christmas who is the dumb in the dumb and dumber as somebody who does not believe they are dumb like, and he plays it totally straight. He's like, I am a person who is valid, and that's true, but he's also kind of dumb, right? Like, and and Colin Farrell's character is kind of that way in this movie. Like, and he even acknowledges at one point, like, you know, I'm not the smartest individual, but like, I I I'm I am pleased with who I am. Like, and I I understand that, and and it's other people who have the problem, not me. Like, I'm I'm fine. And meanwhile, Colm's character, played by Brendan Gleeson, is a little bit 
kind of sort of of a stand-in for the dumber right jeff 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 daniels character the 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 blonde guy i can't remember his name harry uh he's this guy who's who's you know yeah kind of dumb but he's doing his own thing and he's like look like i don't want to any trouble get away from me i just i just don't i just don't like you anymore and and the thing that works about this movie is i think it, it builds in the same way the most emotional scene of dumb and dumber does when lloyd christmas breaks down and he tells harry you know i'm sick and tired of this life and i'm sick and tired of being nobody but most importantly Lloyd, uh, harry i'm sick and tired of having nobody um mm-hmm. it's really emotional and it, it it plays really great and like this movie is like if you could take that scene and slice it up and drop it in 2022 and turn the heat up and and, and it plays really good <laughs> it's surprisingly well put together um i hope it gets some attention at the at the oscars because i i know it's you know it's indie too it's a small cast <laughs> it's it's a, it's a small idea and it's unique, and I don't know how that'll play to larger audiences. Yeah, I, th- I think it's so enjoyable, though, because a lot of times Oscar movies uh, can be really challenging, and it might a lot of times they're like, well, if you've watched a lot of other of indies, then you might get it. Now, I feel like this is much more accessible. It's, I mean, it's a co- dark comedy, so there's, lo- there's lots of laughs, lots of jokes. Uh, a lot of them are pretty dark uh, throughout, but it's, um, I think it's pretty accessible to the average audience. Yeah, I do too. Uh, is this a movie you go see with your parents? I, I can't. I, probably not for me. Like, I, I don't know. It gets who a little exactly violent. Recommend gets, this movie gets to a little violent. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of true. Anyone looking for a laugh? Sort of. I suppose so. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts for recommendations? No, I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Banshees of Inisherin? Yeah, I would. A- absolutely. It, it's a lot of fun. It's this dark comedy. Great performances by Brennan Gleeson, Colin Farrell, and uh, Barry Keown, Carrie Condon as well. Uh, great film by Martin McDonough, who's done good work in the in the past. Uh, it's profound. It's funny. It's dark. Uh, you know, I'm still thinking about things that, that uh, in the film, trying to figure out what they mean, what it means to me. Like, there's it's just a lot going on, and it, it's one of the best films of the year. Definitely recommend yeah, I'm in the same boat. I think Banshee's Administration is really sharp and it's really funny. Uh, it reminds me in like it's it's more obvious moments of something like a Wes Anderson movie, like a movie that I think a lot of people may not read is as funny as it is. Um, but additionally, like may not see, you know, like the the, the genuine emotion like at the center of it. There's an ooey gooey center uh, at, at the middle of the Banshee's Administration, and and as you get closer to it, I think it you find all the more meaning like, but it's also, you know, uniquely funny. And I think that's important. Great performances, uh, great work. I'm excited to see what Martin does next. I, I, yeah. Love it. I, I hope it gets attention at awards season. I really do. Cause I, I think this one would be an easy one. Just kind of like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think it'd be an easy one to brush over. And that's about wraps our show for the week. Good Lord. What a week, Andy Two two solid recommendations. Not every week that happens on this yeah. show. Yeah. It's nice. It's nice. Uh, what, what, what are we watching next week? So we are watching The Menu, which is out in theaters. This is the horror comedy starring Anya Taylor-Joy, Nicholas Holt, and uh, Ray Fiennes. Uh, where they're, it's the couple that goes to the super fancy dinner, and it looks like maybe they're eating the guests, something like that. Uh, that's out this Friday, theaters only again. And we're also going to be watching The Wonder, which is the new film by Florence Pugh, which is, I think, also set in... in uh, rural ireland in the 1850s it looks very mysterious that is out on netflix uh actually just came out on wednesday so that's already available uh to everyone so those are the two we'll be doing for next week 
I'm gonna have to jack up my studio lights. Daylight savings time is not helping my. <laughs> <laughs> my, my it's getting calls dark in there. Moon's uh, coming up. It is, man. I know. It looks like I'm in a cave. Uh, if you enjoyed the show today, if you like what we're doing here on Offscript, if you want to hear more, the easiest way to keep up with us is to follow us probably on Facebook, where we live stream the show every single Tuesday, except for this week on Thursday because I was working thing sorry uh but no we'll be back next tuesday which is cool it doesn't give us much time to watch these movies but we'll get it done uh you can follow us on youtube where we post our live streams you can follow us on instagram twitter and all the usual podcast outlets itunes google play spotify iHeartMedia. uh you can follow us over there and see what we got going on new episodes every single week on tuesdays uh and if you enjoy what we're doing you can subscribe to get new episodes of off script delivered straight to your phone so you don't have to worry about going to find it we'll come to you we'll bring the show right movies are expensive podcasts are cheap Follow Offscript for more. Uh, you can write into the show, correspondence, mail at offscriptfilmreview.com, or you can comment on one of our many posts, uh, and we will likely read your correspondence on the air because we love our fans. We want to make sure you guys are a part of what we're doing here. This show would not be what it is without you, and we really appreciate it. So thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of it. And, uh, of course, you can find everything we do for Offscript at our website, offscriptfilmreview.com. From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.